Today I am a little sad that our Relevant series is coming to a close. We have uh, tackled some pretty uh, incredible, challenging, charged, emotional topics. We've talked about everything from racism to politics to immigration, and the list goes on, and how those different items that especially are being talked about in our world intersect with our faith today. And the concept all started with a passage in the Bible that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9 that says we should become all things to all people so that we might be able to win some. The idea is that as followers of Jesus, it's imperative that we understand and connect with what's going on in our modern day culture so that we can win the world to God's message of love. The last topic that we discuss today is going to be one that's familiar to many, but maybe unfamiliar to some, and that is FOMO. The fear of missing out. The fear of missing out. Yes, if you are just being introduced to this acronym, uh, it is an anxiety that is considered a social disease where people feel like others are having rewarding or fun experiences that they are missing out on. You say, oh, that's silly. Well, we're going to talk about it today. And you might realize that you suffer from this as well. The acronym and then later the viral social media hashtag was first popularized in 2004. It's been around for a while uh, in the Harvard Business School magazine. And uh, it talked about how the anxiety is characterized by a desire to stay continually connected with what others are doing. It could be a fear of regret, which may lead to a compulsive concern that one might miss an opportunity for some kind of interaction, opportunity, experience, an investment, or other satisfying events. Uh, FOMO perpetuates the fear uh, that maybe you've made the wrong decision on something, uh, on how you spend time or what you do. And you can imagine, man, things could be or might be so much different if I had just done this, this, or this. Uh, We can have a fear of missing out on a host of things. I'll list a few. You can have FOMO about dating. Like when you don't know how much more you can handle seeing your roommate constantly come uh, home talking about the flowers they got, the cards they got, and hearing about how great Valentine's Day was, (laughs) if you know what I'm saying. You can have FOMO about marriage. Man, I must be missing out because I'm not married. And then the other side, what if I married the wrong person? Okay, there's more on that side. Okay. (laughs) That's real. That's real. There would be FOMO, the fear of missing out about, about kids. Uh, you know, my life's not going to be complete without children. I won't be happy until X, Y, and Z happens. Married folks and parents can have FOMO about being single again. Man, I'm missing out on that freedom I used to have. Man, remember when I could leave the house? I can't leave the house anymore. I don't see movies. All right, some of the worst recorded FOMOs actually in moms, they fear that they're missing out on what's happening in their kids' lives And they become what's called helicopter parents, hovering over their every move. (laughs) Folks that are discontent in their jobs have a fear of missing out on a better career. Spring break sounds awesome, but I'm spring broke. I'm fear fear I'm missing out on what people with money have, if you know what I'm saying. Brands are getting super hyper savvy about these social phenomenon and leveraging FOMO to sell different products. And uh, some companies have used countdown clocks uh, for sales or limited time only offers and other tactics to capitalize on the fear that you might be missing out if you don't have their products. 
And sometimes other commercials have made fun of FOMO as still a way of leveraging it to their advantage. I want to show you a video right now. It's a little montage of some clips from TV, from commercials, and uh, from the interviews that we've been doing with New Yorkers about the different topics that we've covered over the last seven weeks or the seven uh, lessons that we've done in the series. So we're going to throw all that together in a little video right now, and then we'll jump into some verses in the Bible. Here we go. Since I was sick, I couldn't go to any of the Oscar parties. I was planning on going. I know. I was very sad. And then I got to work and my staff uh, was like, you know, oh, you poor thing. And someone said, you, I bet you have FOMO. And I say, it's no, it's just a bad cold. And um... The fear of missing out um, is really contingent upon the kind of how many choices you have in your life. I feel like in the United States you have so much choices, like even when it comes to education or even when it comes to food, so much of food here, so much of varieties of food. And you always feel like, you know, so many restaurants, you always feel like when you go to one place you're missing out on something else. You have FOMAS, fear of missing out on smoked sausage. But fear not, Dunkin' Smoked Sausage Breakfast Sandwich is here. We're Alaska Airlines, and we offer free chat, so you can LOL with your BFF without any FOMO. Everyone knows FOMO, but not everyone knows FOMO'd. Fear of missing out on the home of your dreams. Dear Mainland, aloha. My brother and I keep hearing about your fear of missing out, FOMO. Running this way and that to try and do every little thing. Maybe you don't worry about FOMO. Instead, maybe you try a little slow-mo with a cold corner beer. This is Debbie. She has FOMO. Mm-hmm, because she doesn't have Sprint Unlimited that now includes Hulu. Wait, what am I missing? Who is that? A smarter you. Oh. I'm missing kickoff for this. <laughs> Fear of missing out on football can be triggered by many things. Download NFL Mobile. I think our generation, uh, we have so many choices. Whether it's you want to be a career person, you want to be in education, you want to not do that, you want to travel the world, um, whichever path you choose. I mean, it's great that we have, like, we have all these paths, we're very much blessed, but if you choose one and you find out it's not for you, it's like... I have a fear of being alone. Sometimes you don't even know. So a little introduction to uh, this topic and the cultural discussion that's happening around this topic. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 8. And uh, if you want to download a Bible real quick or look on with a friend, uh, we share and uh, we're going to dig in on a big chunk of scripture here in 1 Samuel 8. And so once you guys get there, I won't have it on the screen for you. We'll read um, uh, what's in front of us as we read through it. But FOMO is actually all over the Bible. And the reason why is because people are all over the Bible. And it's a human struggle to compare, to feel inadequate, to feel insecure, and to be worried that there's something better out there. And so whatever you want to call it, whatever cultural phenomenon we have, and whatever acronym we choose, this is an age-old struggle that we've had since the very beginning. Now we're going to read uh, most of this chapter uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And to introduce it, we're we're now entering into uh, the nation of Israel. 
And this is thousands of years ago. And here, actually, the whole nation is wrestling with the fear of missing out. You're going to see what they're desiring as they're asking their prophet, their leader, Samuel, for something very specific. First Samuel chapter 8, we'll start in verse 4. It says, So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You're old. That's not a good way to start. They said, you're old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. Verse 11, he said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of all your flocks, and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. After all those warnings, they say, no, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us. And to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. All right, we'll stop there. Some of us are familiar with this desire of the whole nation to to want a king. To be like all the other countries that had a clear kingship and a rulership to give that structure to the land. Of course, God has designated prophets up until that point, and now Samuel was the prophet, a spiritual leader, also that would fight battles, also that would intervene on their behalf for the Lord, but they were done with that. They thought they knew better than God. The people of Israel had FOMO. They feared that they would miss out on what other nations had, even though they didn't completely know what the other nations had. They wanted a king like them. They didn't trust that God had that plan. And even after Samuel warns them, I mean, that's a long list of warnings that we just read, right? I mean, wouldn't you feel differently if you were saying, I want something, and then 10 warnings of all the things that are going to be taken from you? That would not change your mind. But see, sometimes in life, when we have a fear of missing out and we want something bad, someone does warn us and we still say, I want that. So we can relate to this text. Fields are going to be taken. Taxes are going to be on them. They're going to become resources and servants and slaves. But they wanted to be like everybody else. They wanted to be accepted. They wanted to blend in. They didn't want to be the odd ones out. 
See, that was God's vision for his people, that they would be different, that they would stand out. So the very thing that God had envisioned for them to be a holy nation, the word holy literally means separate, they were rejecting. They couldn't stand the feeling of being socially separated from the world. And their fear of missing out dominated their thinking and destroyed their faith. This is definitely a struggle for us in 2018. We have a fear that as followers of Jesus, we won't get what others have. They get to sleep in on Sundays, don't they? Can we get real for a minute? They're watching the World Cup right now. That's a personal struggle. They don't give all their money away. They get to keep it for themselves. Man, and they just seem to have so much time. And they do whatever they want. And their Instagram and Facebook posts, ooh, looks like the good life. I want that. I'm missing out. You know, it's a great psalm, Psalm 73. Asaph writes about this struggle. I told you FOMO is all over the Bible. In Psalm 73, starting in verse 4 and 5, he talks about all the things that he sees and he imagines this world where all these people, these people that don't have to be righteous, don't have to be holy, must be enjoying life. It must be an all-day party out there. He says in verse 4, they have no struggles. You ever feel like that when you see other people? They have no struggles. Every post is pretty. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. I got asthma. I got a cold. I got the flu. I got this. I got that. They don't struggle with any of that. They are not plagued by human ills. If you drop down to verse 13, he continues writing. says, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. In other words, he's lamenting. He's regretting. Living a pure life. Surely I've lived a pure life in vain. I could have been out there. I could have been playing the field. I could have been on all the websites. I could have been partying like everybody else. Dating the world, living carefree, feeling the pleasures of the fullness of life every minute of this short time that we have. Oh, it got real quiet in here real quick. How quickly we get deceived. How quickly we go down that hole. Even as Asaph himself is writing this, he comes to some realizations. And he turns a corner. Amen for a psalm that you you go down the pit, but then it brings you back up, right? Because in verse 18, he says, surely you place them on slippery ground. He starts to realize that that life is a slippery slope. In verse 19, he says, they are swept away by terrors. In verse 27, he says, those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. Verse 28, but as for me, and it gets personal, it's good for me to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. He realizes there's no solid ground out there except on God. The posts look pretty, and they are, but true emptiness is a life without eternal purpose. Not being right with our creator leaves a void inside our souls 
that we desperately try to fill with anything and everything, but it doesn't satisfy us. And we're left bitter and full of envy. You know, FOMO is a close cousin to what philosophers call the paradox of hedonism. Some of you have heard me talk about this. Hedonism is is pleasure-seeking, and one pleasure isn't enough, so I want more, and it always leaves you wanting more. And the teacher in Ecclesiastes calls it a chasing after the wind. Arlene is making her way up here because she's going to share the lesson with me in just a minute here. So she'll get set up. But this thing in Ecclesiastes, a chasing after the wind, a paradox, a trap, a cycle of dissatisfaction is simply this. I can never have enough if pleasure is the goal. I always want more. When you eat a great meal, at least when I eat a great meal, and it's over and I'm looking at my empty plate, you know what I'm thinking? I want more. What did Al say about the Central Park service? I want more. It was awesome. I want more. What happens when you make that, that next promotion? And you get that more money, right? You get that extra paycheck. And you think, man, this is awesome, right? And for the rest of your days, you're totally satisfied with what you got, right? No. You want more. Once you taste a little bit, oh, I, get, I want more than that. And we have this natural desire for more. The teacher also says in Ecclesiastes, whoever loves money never has enough. It's like this. No amount of money is ever enough when money is the goal. No relationship is ever enough when a relationship is the goal. No pleasure or drug or accomplishment or promotion or amount of applause is ever enough if those things, selfish gain, is the goal. If God is the goal, we start to understand satisfaction. I want Arlene to come up and share on this topic. She has some incredible convictions and and passionate uh, stories about this. And we've been chatting about it for the last couple of months. And uh, so I'm excited to have her share from her perspective. Now, now you know how you get incredible convictions, right? Oh, really? You you struggle. (laughs) So that's why I'm here is because I struggle. So I... I have come up with some different feelings about FOMO. You know, it's actually a near epidemic proportion, FOMO, that as you read different research, it's obviously a pervasive topic. It enters our lives in so many different ways. But for me personally, FOMO, it manifests itself in phone usage, in social media usage. And so that's really what I was going to talk about. I don't know if you've noticed, but John and I were driving um, in from New Jersey back into the city the other day, and there was a sign posted at the entrance of the Lincoln Tunnel. And I remember seeing these signs always, so I kind of dismissed it. I, I assumed I knew what it said, those stay alive signs. I assumed it said, stay alive, don't drink and drive. But as I double take look back, it was stay alive, don't text and drive. Have you seen these? And it's interesting because I remember the don't drink and drive very clearly, that whole campaign and for many years and many decades. And now it's all about texting and, you know, getting on your phone that literally folks are willing to put their lives at risk for fear of missing an opportunity, for fear of missing a text, for fear of missing a post, for fear of missing some type of information. It is life threatening. It is our drug of choice. And it's a reason to risk it all, which is not surprising, but surprising enough, right? In a survey from Mashable, they found that over 56% of social media users suffer from the syndrome of FOMO. 
spurred on by constant check-ins, likes, tweets, and other uh, visions clogging our personal feeds. And FOMO is really the demanding king that we read about over there in this passage, to say the least. I mean, demanding to the point that it exacts an emotional toll on our spiritual lives, on our daily lives. It could trigger anxiety, depression. Um, One writer coined the idea that it could trigger acute comparisonitis, you know, where you're constantly comparing to the millions of imaginary lives that are out there because really what we're seeing is not real it is just a snapshot but it creates this giant measuring stick that none of us could ever match we cannot achieve it but for some reason we believe that if we just try hard enough to imitate this illusion we can stretch ourselves beyond you know capacity to do it so that living our best life leaves us feeling more like life stinks right? Because someone else's life is always better looking. It always looks more fulfilling. It somehow looks like it's been chronicled by some professional photographer and possibly that they also have a hair and makeup crew along with them. That's how I feel. And that's what we see. And that's what we're bombarded with. Personally, it seems like FOMO affects women um, in a more direct and self-deprecating way. And maybe I feel that way because I am a woman. But it feels as though women are judged a little bit more strictly and that the standards for female beauty are a little bit more unyielding than men. So this idea of comparison seems like something that we're constantly, constantly dealing with. These, these uh, beauty standards are inflexible. Women are continually bombarded with images of an ideal face, the ideal body, what one uh, writer calls the official body. Could you imagine if there was an official way to look for all of us, and then if you didn't match up what it is that you feel? And most women feel this way, that there is an actual official body. So constant exposure to these idealized images of female beauty on TV, magazines, billboards, and now throughout social media. It makes exceptional good looks, like the the person that is the most beautiful seem normal. And so anything less than that is ugly. Could you imagine? You know, the one person in all of your town, in all of your city, in all of your country, Now that's the standard. And it it was wild. I I shared this before at a women's event that I was at a Whole Foods and I saw this woman that she was tall and beautiful and, you know, thin. I mean, she had to have been like six foot tall. I mean, she was very tall for a woman and she had on heels and she was at Whole Foods. So she's eating well and doing all that, right? And she was a head taller than most of the men even in the room. And everybody kind of turned and looked at her, you know? And I thought, that girl's a model, right? I mean, she, she's got the gazelle look. She's a model. And, and everybody's kind of looking at her as she's passing. And I thought, I wonder if she comes from a country where they look like her. Do you know what I mean? Like, they all look like her. Maybe she is the only one in her country that they all look like, like, you know, that they all look up to her. And I thought, interesting, because she would be the one on the cover of the magazine that all of us look at and go, why don't I look like her? But even in the Whole Foods, in a healthy place, in New York City where people are pretty fit, she stood out. So obviously, 
these standards are really way out of our reach to be able to imitate for the normal person. It's been estimated that young women today see more images of an outstandingly beautiful woman in one day than their mothers and grandmothers saw in their entire adolescence and some lifetime. Let that sink in. In one day, girls scrolling through Instagram, Pinterest, you know, all these different things, whether it's they're seeing a person, an outfit or somebody, they see more in one day. And you imagine the spiritual battle is on. It is a constant. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, that man can easily recognize God's qualities by merely observing the creation around him. And that man is left with no excuse to understand that God is there. But verse 25 tells us that instead of acknowledging that truth, the, the obvious, the plain, we trade it in for a lie. Have you ever bought into a lie yourself? I know I have. Have you ever opened up an app and checked your news feed and started or stared at some lie uh, about others, you know, that lie that their lives are perfect or without struggle, like Psalm 73? And then by comparison, you are somehow lacking something essential in your own life? It's a lie. But maybe the lie that um, that comparison, that that image sets before you is you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, you're not beautiful or fit enough, you're not traveled enough, and you're definitely not social enough. So a little over a year ago, I had to come face to face with the lies that I was choosing to believe. It had been months after losing one of my closest friends to cancer on the West Coast. I'd shared about this before. I was there when she passed, but I couldn't afford to be there for the funeral. And so instead, I scoured the internet to see if anyone else had posted anything about um, her or the family during the time of her memorial. I did this for days, and it was this kind of twisted type of mourning. Then I got hooked into checking my newsfeed constantly. You know, what started as, you know, I really just wanted to be a part of something ended up being something that triggered uh, a need for me to continually check in. And as I checked, I noticed people seemed very happy and active, and everybody had moved on, and I was still stuck. I don't know if you've ever felt that. Like, you feel like everybody else is moving forward, but I'm, I feel like I'm even taking steps backwards here. So I was still stuck. And it's interesting because researchers in two German universities looked at Facebook data, and they found that people had negative feelings when using social media because they saw seemingly perfect lives of their friends. It's not a surprise, but it is something we don't accept enough to change. So the spiritual me recognized that I was playing the comparison game, and I said, listen, I need to change this up. I shouldn't be comparing myself in social media um, and essentially to these exaggerated highlight reels. I knew that. Okay, this is, this is envy. This is not productive. So I began to take steps back from Facebook. And the thing is, Satan knows when we're vulnerable, and so he looked for a different place to attack, a different door to go in. Because I got some type of notification, even though I turned them all off, I got a notification that somebody had updated their news feed, and I checked on it, and it wasn't, you know, your typical, you know, picturesque, pic, you know, people trying to pose a celebration pic or something. It was actually a request for prayer. So I said, oh, okay, I'll check into this. And it was an old friend of ours, John and I, back in Los Angeles again, 
that was fighting for his life because of a sudden stroke. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to pray, and I've been praying for him. And I began checking each day for updates. And there I was again, looking to, to find out what was going on. And it turned from updates on his health to the reality that he was losing his battle, and then memorials, and then mourning. But by this point, I was hooked again. And, and I spent time uh, searching through everybody else's expressions of pain. And I found myself for days reading post after post of other people mourning. So then I started taking on the pain of all of these folks. And I was on that hook. Another study from 2013 concluded that people who experience FOMO are more inclined to use social media sites because they feel the need to always stay connected. Before social media and the cell phone surfaced, typically people knew what their friends were doing because they spent time with them. (laughs) Today, however, we can search for whatever we missed at the click of a button, so we constantly know what's going on with so many people. And like I shared, uh, John and I made this move from the West Coast to the East Coast, so we know thousands of folks on the West Coast and meeting thousands of folks on the East Coast. So imagine that expectation that you could actually know what's going on with those thousands, multiples of people at any given moment. It's just unrealistic. Consequently, I had been seeing a counselor around the same time to deal with some things from my past and my recent loss of my friend, and I was able to get some perspective uh, about my social media usage. I realized that, you know, after um, spending that time online, and although the news of my friend, it was helpful to know that they were going through something and to pray and even extend compassion, the reality was, was I was no longer in that circle on a daily, a weekly a monthly, and and sometimes even annually. I could probably go for years without seeing them. But I was getting this information that I normally would not have gotten immediately, and it was affecting my daily and even hourly life. I don't know if you can relate to that. You get this information. You're not there, but you're feeling as though you're supposed to be there, you should be there, and you should feel bad that you're not. So I decided... No more of the constant Facebook. Why? Because I was too vulnerable to Satan's schemes, whether it was comparison or unhealthy empathy. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, it says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And Romans 12, 3 says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. And with these two concepts in mind, I needed to so, be sober and clear about a boundary to, in order to heal, in order to get past this condition, this thing that I kept investing in. So I decided I would check Facebook once a week for 20 minutes with somebody else present. And it was, you know, it seemed ridiculous, but honestly, that's what I decided because I knew, okay, one, I know people still use it to contact me and invite me to things, even though I tell them, please just call me. But folks still do that because this is the age we're in. So I said, all right, I'll just check that. I won't do all the scrolling, and that'll be it. And I did that for a long time. It was something, a boundary that I knew that I needed because left to my own devices, when I, if I was on my own, I would just free fall down the rabbit hole. And so it actually did change things. I did start to feel a little bit different. It wasn't grandiose, and it wasn't something that was like skipping each day, like, I'm so happy now. But what was interesting 
was John noticed a difference. You know, and it's funny how folks around you, you know, when they say, you know, you want an honest answer, you ask people that are around you every day, hey, what do you think? And, and he told me that he noticed that I was happier and more present. And I thought, really? Wow, I didn't know, I'm, how was I before, you know? <laughs> but he noticed that difference. And it was an eye-opener for sure. Interestingly enough, fighting um, my pull towards comparison and missing out has not just been a one-punch knockout. It wasn't a one decision, one boundary, and I'm cured. It's a constant decision. Recently, my daughter even talked about um, the two of us taking a break from social media for the summer so that we could be more present and enjoy the summer and really be you know, engaged in our summer vacation. I thought that was such a cool, it wasn't my idea, it was her idea, it was just so cool, right? Um, but the fear of missing out became an abusive and exacting king in my life. Instead, I needed a just king. I needed someone not affected by the unrealistic virtual measuring stick, a king that wasn't out to sell me something with a ballooning uh, subscription, you know, a king that judged me by the content of my character and not my social media content. A king that could provide peace in my life and not leave me more anxious with each interaction. Bottom line, I needed a new king. Bottom line, I needed Jesus. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? There is no need to check your news feed for a status update with Jesus. Right? His calling and his content are an anchor for my soul, unlike the shifting sands of social media. By taking my time back and fixing my eyes on Jesus, on him who is never changing and always inviting, I'm filled up. I'm filled with acceptance just as I am, not compared to anybody or some unyielding standard. I'm filled with comfort that I can overcome by his promises and the fact that he endured and overcame so much. And I'm filled with the security that I am not alone, no matter how many friends I have or how many likes I acquire. But I am filled with Jesus. With Jesus before me, I'm assured that I'm not missing the most important relationship goal that there is. And that's an eternal relationship with my creator, God. Thank you. Thank you, Arlene, for sharing so vulnerably and uh, sharing things that I think all of us can relate to one way or another. You know, this is not an anti-social media lesson. It's about getting deep into the soul and what we allow to become masters in our lives. She's, uh, she's an amazing example of someone who keeps Jesus before her and I might be a little taller than her, but I married up for sure. Um, I'm grateful. <laughs> As she alluded to, and I want to close things down here to prepare our hearts for the communion. You know, Jesus is the cure for this social disease. The fear of missing out is a disease that is only cured by the faith that Jesus' example provides. See, faith is the opposite of fear. When Satan offered Jesus the world, he didn't take it. When he could have called on 10,000 angels to avoid the cross, he didn't take it. 
He never gave in to that fear of missing out. Jesus is the antidote to fear because he's the picture of faith. He believes in what his father promises. One of the things he calls us to believe is John 10, 10. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Ask yourself today, do you believe this? Do you believe that being a follower of Jesus guarantees you life to the full? You got to ask yourself, you got to look in the mirror and check your motives. Do you believe that? Where is your faith today? You say, well, I don't feel like my life's to the full. Well, start to figure out why. What is your fear telling you? What is the fear of missing out informing you about what your soul is feeling? You know, we're marketed to believe that unless we have all the resources everyone else has, then we're not good enough and then we can't possibly have life to the full. But Jesus says, you will have life to the full in him. My, my life in Christ is filled to the brim. I truly believe that. And there are days when I don't feel like that's true, but when I really sit down and uh, make my gratitude list or things that I do to help me to remember the adventures, the friendships, the experiences, the connections, the stories, the struggle, the realness, the hope, I would never trade it for a life of convenience and ease. A life of, who writes books about a life of convenience? (laughs) Who wins prizes for living an easy life? That doesn't happen. We appreciate struggle and people that overcome. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 29, Jesus gives us another promise. He replies, no one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me. And the God, I always thought fields was funny, but it's important. I've left all these, you know, the people that he calls in our lives, the the people we love the most, but and fields. In other words, if you sacrifice financially, if you sacrifice in your career, if you sacrifice climbing that ladder in some way because you are confronted with a spiritual decision, then here's what what he says for you in verse 30. You will not fail to receive as hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions, he throws that in there, and in the age to come, eternal life. In other words, you've sacrificed, but you've received. You've given up things in your career, and yet God has also blessed when it comes to your career. He's given you a place to be, a place to be physically in your home. He's also given you a place to be in the church community. And he says you get all that in the present age. And persecutions. It's not about a life of ease. You're going to struggle, but you will overcome and you will get these things. And and, oh, by the way, you get eternal life. See, Jesus promises a life a hundred times as richly blessed and textured with miracles and joy and family and love. And that any sacrifices that we have made for his kingdom get it not just in heaven, but in this life, the present age, the blessings that he wants to richly bless us with. We can't quantify the talks that people have had with us when we were down and out. You can't put a dollar sign on a conversion. You can't post a picture of your ugly cry prayers of repentance when we prayed. I mean, you can, but it doesn't translate well. Like those are some of the best moments of your life. Ugly crying, snot out, everything. God help me. It's your best moment. It doesn't translate on Facebook. In John 7, verse 24, Jesus says, Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. 
this is our God. It's not about the outside. It's not about the appearance. It's not about the first glance. It's not about the first impression. It's about the soul. We got to grow up and grow out of comparing our lives to what we see in others. That's a mere appearance. Instead, we have to mature to make a right judgment. Judge correctly to discern what it is that I should and shouldn't be imitating. A couple more that I just get encouraged by. It says, in this world, you will have trouble. You know this one, right? Al was talking about earlier, there is trouble. But take heart. Because what has Jesus done? He's overcome the world. In other words, you are guaranteed trouble. You follow Jesus, trouble's guaranteed. 100% inevitable, you're going to get some trouble. And he says, it's okay, though. Be encouraged. I've already beat it. Just join my team. And we'll get through it and have a great time doing it. To truly live life the way the world says, you got to have the right phone, the right cable company, the right airline, the right clothes, the right this, the right that, on and on and on and on. You will constantly feel like you don't measure up. But the creator of all things says he's already given us everything we need for life and godliness. And all it takes is to know him. Israel wanted a king. And they even said, I find it so interesting. We can't wait to get a king who's going to fight all our battles for us. Who is Israel's first king? Saul. And what happened when Goliath came out? Did Saul fight that battle for Israel? I can't wait till I get that boyfriend in my dreams going to protect me and serve me and do that. We'll see. I can't wait till I get that job because then I'll be able to go on vacations. and do. Really? I don't know. Maybe. But if that's where you put your trust, be careful. Chariots, they break. The world is built on empty promises. You will have trouble, but Jesus has overcome it all. And Israel wanted a king, and God was just trying to tell him, can you just be patient? Because I have this whole thing planned out. I do have a king in mind. His name is Jesus. You're just going to have to wait. How awesome it, it is for us to be able to live in the time where we can say, Jesus is my Lord. Amen. He is my king, and I put that crown on his head and not on all the other things that are being posted about in my life. Jesus is the cure to the fear of missing out. And faith always triumphs over fear. Let's think about these things as we go to our God in heaven in prayer and prepare for the communion. Father, thank you for speaking to us through your word. You've given us everything we need for this life and the next. And Father, we believe wholeheartedly that So much of what we need is right here in your word, in your scriptures, in the Bible, that we comb through its pages, that as we scroll through the stories, we see ourselves like in a mirror. We see ourselves like Israel, being afraid of missing out, being afraid of not being accepted, being afraid of not being able to blend in socially and be affirmed by the world. And yet you speak to that. You speak to it powerfully. You say that you have a better plan. Thank you for that better plan. Thank you for Jesus being the better plan. Thank you that the better plan included him coming to this earth and living a sinless life, doing miracles, crossing all the social boundaries, 
and calling not only people then, but people now to his example. Thank you that he had the courage to say no to fear and yes to faith. And that that faith even took him to dying on the cross for our sins and resurrecting on the third day. As we take the communion now, as we remember his blood spilt, his body broken, God, help us to tie in, to connect with, to draw from the faith that Jesus lived with. Help us to overcome our fears, our fears of missing out with your great faith. We love you and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.